Welcome to Season 6, Episode 6 of Fire Away, Runner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator and your host of this episode of Fire Away. Fire Away streams online every month. And if you missed an episode or want to catch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and our and our website. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Denise Coster. Denise is our first three-time guest on Fire Away. And we are going to be talking about security and threat assessments in the workplace, along with some other issues like conflict resolution and climate assessment. Uh, so let's get to it and get started. Denise, welcome back and thank you for joining us once again. Well, thank you, Stuart. I'm very excited to be back again to talk about this absolutely critical conversation in um, the world right now. I appreciate you joining us. So before we get to that, why don't you share a, a little bit of your background for uh, for our viewers who haven't seen you on the previous uh, two times you joined us. Okay, well, I've had my company, Coster Consulting and Associates, since 1994. I created it after, uh, in response to the murder of an Indigenous elderly client that I worked with back in the 80s. Um, I started off doing investigations in long-term care facilities, which I still do now, nursing home abuse. Then that sort of shifted into the area of workplace discrimination, harassment, bullying, and then due to the lines crossing over people in investigations being fearful, not only about the respondent, but witnesses, the complainant, I started to um, study in the area of um, threat assessments and management. And I'm currently just completing my Master of Law at Osgoode Law School. So it's sort of been a, a 40 year, um, lots of transitions in my work, but all came down to to what I do now, which is focusing on keeping people safe. That's awesome. Well, th thank you. And again, thank you for joining us. And you know, it's interesting to have to admit, you know, threat assessments was probably something I wouldn't have thought would be a relevant topic, you know, a few years ago, certainly pre-COVID. And, and as I have said to you separately, Denise, I mean, I have to admit there have been many times over the years where I've worked with clients, particularly when we're planning termination meetings and they've suggested having the police or security come. And I've, I've usually really dismissed that and diminished the, the, their concerns. And I'm happy to say that, you know, we really have not had any serious incidents, but uh, based upon what we talked about and what we will talk about today, I think that, uh, you know, things are changing. And as you've said, things have changed in many years, especially since COVID. And, uh, you know, even one of my favorite places in the world, look at Disney World and look at the number of videos we've seen about assaults and families getting into brawls because someone jumped uh, jumped into line. You know, we are seeing a lot more violence in the world and it is spilling over into the workplace. So I think, you know, that notion of a threat assessment, which you're, uh, I'm going to ask you to explain in a few minutes, uh, is critical. Uh, but I thought I'd start by asking you what I should do differently. You know, next time I have a client who says, we're going to have this termination meeting. I'm a little worried about how the individual might react. Should we have police or security there? You know, what, what should I do or say in response to that? Well, I'm a firm believer in your gut. I truly believe that um, not necessarily all your clients are going to bring that issue up about all individuals that they're doing a termination with. Not all individuals that are going to be terminated are going to be dangerous. However, all people that are going to be terminated are not necessarily not dangerous. So I think that one of the things that has to be built in is best practices around termination process. 
And I think that um, by creating threat assessment teams and policies and protocols about how to do things from discipline to termination may include on, you know, the checklist saying, you know, is there a need for security? Is there a need for police? Because there's different levels of, of indicators that would, would um, cause uh, either a security to be right in the room at the time or in some cases a police car in the parking lot. But I think that in, in order for it not to be as subjective by judging Stuart's more dangerous than Denise or vice versa, it's much better to have a best practice. This is how terminations are going to be done um, versus doing it subjectively. And so is that essentially the threat assessment that uh, that we wanted to talk about? Well, it's around the threat assessment. I think that there does have to just be best practices around safety that HR needs to employ when they're doing um, certain tasks. Um, and a, a structured um, threat assessment team is a group of leaders that become what's called a TAT, which is a threat assessment team, which um, are senior professionals within the organizations that are trained. And, and really what they're doing is identifying and managing situations when there's been a threat, either internally or externally, um, towards the individual or an organization. Um, this team can also include security, legal counsel, but it's an actual body that would filter through either any threat or be able to assess how to do a specific termination based on the individual that's being terminated. Okay. So I want to sort of come back to the threat assessment, but just to finish up on my my sort of questions on the termination meeting. So, you know, if if that's now part of the checklist, which sounds like a great idea that we should assess whether security should be present or at least uh, you know, in the room or otherwise. Uh, but then, how do we decide? And I appreciate you said go with your gut, but is there more that we should be taking into account? Well, I think that if the client was to say to you, Stuart, I think we need to have security here, I would say what actions have led you to believe that security should be present during this meeting? I don't know. I just think they're dangerous. Describe to me what they mean. you mean by dangerous. I think they're going to do something. Describe to me what they're going to do. I think we have to drill down because what we tend to do is go, oh, don't worry, they're not dangerous. Or, oh, you know, we're on, you know, we have a lots of people here or we're doing it off hours. Like, I think, again, when people say someone's dangerous, someone scares me, you have to drill down is what actions they presented to you that makes you afraid. Well, they threatened me that they were going to hit me with their car in the parking lot. Then you might say, well, yeah, or I'm just not sure. I think they're just a little bit strange. So I think that what we have to do is rather than just flippantly throw ideas out and go, well, no, that's we don't need that. We have to drill down as to why is that person bringing that up in a specific case. So everything's around context when you do threat assessments. Um, there are best practices, but context is really important. Just because someone has a violent history doesn't mean they're going to be violent. But on the other hand, just because they don't doesn't mean they're not going to act violent when they're terminated. So it's very, um, it's much more complicated than just, and an assessment is a thousand assessments are worth one life that might be taken or the threat of an individual. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And what about, because I've had this recently where I, I had this discussion, it's actually come up a few times, 
um, where there was some concern. I don't think, I don't know if it was significant, but then as someone chimed in and said, well, why don't we just do it by Zoom? You know, they work, you know, they're hybrid workers, they're home two or three days a week anyways. Why don't we just do it on one of the days when they're at home by Zoom? And then there's no risk of having them in the workplace. And there's also no concern that they'll be so upset that, you know, they're going to have to drive home afterwards. So is, is that a, a solution to avoid some of these issues? Well, I think the hybrid is a sort of a double edge. I think that by Zoom, um, you don't have control over the environment. When someone's on Zoom, you don't know who's in the room. You don't know if there potentially is drugs and alcohol involved. You don't know if they have a weapon. You don't know if there's a domestic violence situation where once the camera turns off, this individual will be harmed. I am aware of a case where um, an individual was terminated online through Zoom and they took their life in front of HR right on Zoom. Um, and w what do you do in that situation? Um, again, employers are responsible for the employees while they're at work, which includes their home environment. So there's no way to safeguard someone's home environment unless you go there and do the termination. So I have some now that with COVID and being able to actually have people come to the office, I think that's actually a safer way um, because at least you can track that individual, um, what they're going to do after, as opposed to a camera clicking off and you have no idea if they're getting in their car and going to the workplace. So I think there's pros and cons of both, but I, I don't want us to be spoiled by COVID and think everything can be done on Zoom. I think people need the human touch. They need perhaps EAP in the room. Um, they need eye contact and all the things. And, and you reading body language is extremely important in the work that I do. And I'm sure that you do. And you can't see yeah. what is going on from the sort of chest up with individuals. Yeah, well, as you said, there's pros and cons to both. But that's a really great point that you just have no control over the environment if you're doing it by Zoom. Um, so I'll sort of cut back to what you were talking about, or you mentioned threat assessments. Um, and I think a lot of us in the world of HR or HR law are, are familiar with risk assessments, because especially in Ontario, those were mandated a number of years ago in, in some circumstances. But what exactly is a threat assessment? Well, a, a threat assessment is actually de dealing with a threat that that's coming internally or externally. So you've become alerted of a situation where someone has brought forward that they're fearful of an individual. They put in a harassment claim. They say, I don't want you to do anything about it because I'm afraid of this person during an interview. So something, um, there's a catalyst that spurs the threat assessment. So that, that point, that's where the threat assessment team, if it's developed, then or an external then takes this threat and does an assessment in order to determine what the level of threat is in addition to creating a safety plan for those um, individuals that are potentially targets in that case so and, you know you mentioned you know harassment complaints i think you know we're all so used to like the process now you get a harassment complaint or even a mention of and the word harassment or bullying or anything like it, and there's going to be an investigation. Um, and there are often steps taken to separate the individuals pending the outcome of the investigation. Um, but I have to admit, I don't know a lot of organizations that do a threat assessment as well. Um, no. But it, it makes perfect sense that they should be doing it. So are you 
Like, have you seen an, an uptick in the demand for that, or are you still trying to get the word out? Well, I, I could say both, because when I'm doing an investigation, because I'm also trained in threat assessment, the moment that someone um, tells me that they're fearful of the individual, and we're not just, we're not, threat assessment is not, and management is not just to protect some, you know, lives being taken. It's also preserving the, the health, safety, and well-being and the mental health of individuals. Uh, threats can cause tremendous harm for people that they go off work and they don't come back because they are so fearful. So when I do um, investigations, when someone is fearful, I drill down to why they're fearful. I've stopped interviews and I've gone to my client and said, we have to stop right now. This individual has a fear. We have to do a threat assessment because I'm able to do both of those roles. But I've also had clients that have had investigators that won't continue until I do a threat assessment um, because they're fearful not only for the parties involved, but but investigators are also um, part of being a target. I'm a target all the time. You file a report and someone gets terminated. Who are they going to go after? The investigator. Um, so so most organizations that, that I'm aware of or that I've worked with don't have threat assessment teams. But now that I speak more of it and I have a lot of clients I've had for 20 years, um, they're becoming more aware of the situation and it's more on their radar than it has been in the past. And I am getting much more requests for um, formal threat assessment within my work. Uh, that's encouraging. It's good to hear. And so how, how so the, the, you know, again, we're all familiar with investigations and the conclusion is some sort of report at the end. But how, how does it, the threat assessment end? Threat assessments really don't end. That's why they're called threat assessments and management. Um, as you know, with a lot of, um, it could be school shooters or workplace shooters that an individual can be terminated. If we look at the OC Transport Company um, shooting with Pierre Lebrun back in the 90s, uh, which was the first time that workplace violence was really had a public inquiry, he came back three months after termination and took the lives of four individuals. Um, so People think, oh, they're terminated, they've gone home, we haven't heard of anything. Sometimes silence is more telling than somebody that's calling every 10 minutes and asking for their job. So I think with each scenario that changes with the individual, like they do make contact or you're still um, in negotiations around packaging or there's legal involvement, you have to keep on top of it because moment by moment, a level of threat can go for a three to an eight just based on uh, some kind of a difference. So it always has to be on the radar of the organization. And I've had clients say, well, we've had, we would have thousands. No, you won't. Violence is the exception in addition to threat assessments or even an exception. But again, not to monitor it is like going to sleep at night, waking up, smelling smoke and going back to bed. That's pretty much idea. what, not monitoring it is the smoke is still there you still mm -hmm. need to look at how do we control this from becoming a fire and that way is to monitor that smoke it's the same with individuals that have left the workplace they have to continually monitor the situation i'm just i'm just thinking thinking aloud really so you know in most cases at least where i'm involved you know, the person may be let go, um, and then they may have some initial interactions with HR. But of course, once I'm involved, uh, it typically means that all the, the 
communications are between lawyers at that mm -hmm. point, and they're not having any interaction with HR or the company at that point. So at that point, it, it, unless you tell me otherwise, it sounds like there's you know there's, there's not going to be any cause for threat assessment unless the word comes back through the lawyers that there is a concern, or is there something else that, that would possibly trigger that? There could be, but I also know that in the in many terminations or even suspensions or um, that individuals are on, they will contact people internally. I have a lot of unionized clients and I will have um, my clients say to me, you know, the union president came and said there's been some concerning text messages or someone will say stuff see something on Facebook. I mean, again, we go back to social media. Doesn't matter that someone's in litigation. They're they're posting on Facebook and blogging and putting it on to, you know, Twitter and everything else. So sometimes it comes to the attention like that, um, where um, somebody brings it forward. The, the lawyers would not know that. They're too far removed from that. It's usually the, the cohort group that might yeah. have fear or someone might see their car in a parking lot or something like that. That would raise the concern that they're not gone. Yeah, that's a great point. You're right. They're, they're often, I often do get the reports that while I'm dealing with, you know, the lawyers that there are, they are texting their former colleagues or, or showing up at the workplace. So very, very good points. Any of those things could trigger a, a threat assessment. Um, right. And I, I want to shift gears slightly because I know when I, as I mentioned to you, when I was looking at your website recently, I also saw the discussion of climate assessments. Um, and I wanted to talk a bit about that. I mean, first, uh, well, why don't you start by explaining what a climate assessment is? Well, a climate assessment is really like it sounds. It's like taking the temperature of an organization at any given time to see sort of what's happening. Um, oftentimes I get calls from, from, um, HR or individuals that work in an organization and say, we have some issues. We don't have a formal complaint right now, but something's not right in the organization. Um, there's a toxic feel to it. People are calling in sick, but nobody is actually coming forward. Um, so one of the things that I suggest is you can't investigate something that's not there. But what I suggest and offer to my clients is what's called a climate assessment, where I meet with individual staff, either department or organizationally. I've done it with 11 people and I've done it with 400 people and really just in a room alone saying, um, getting them to, to from their personal opinion um, at the, at the time that the assessment's being taken, because it can change in a dime too, is how they feel about morale, trust, respect, communication, respect for the hierarchy, what are their top issues and concerns, and what are the solutions. And I actually record, as in I don't record, um, audio, audioly, I that, that word is right, but um, I do it by... Um, I record everybody's word. Everyone gets an equal airtime. So the most verbal people that are coming to HR and saying, you know, things are not right here. and We need to fire this one and we're going to put in complaints. We'll hear from those individuals. But what you hear is from everybody has equal airtime. So the most quiet individual in your organization has the exact same time as the CAO in, in a meeting with me. And what I do is and then I generate the report with verbatim comments from those individuals. And then I organize that report and I give that it stays at a very high level of the organization. And then that gives them the climate of, of 
this situation. And it also gives ownership to the employees to say, this is what we need to have done in order for the morale to increase or in rather for trust or respect to, to, um, to, to improve in the organization. And then um, they implement plans that involve the staff. And then maybe 18 months later, we do a sort of a smaller version of that climate assessment to see if there's any change within the organization. So it can be a really helpful tool to, um, because senior leadership only knows what they see, which is how people present in front of them or what they hear. This gives them an actual verbatim um, assessment of what the employees think about at the time. And I also include management in that because I'm not into us and them. You know, right. we, we also need to involve the fact that managers get bullied. Managers are, you know, have a lot of insight into the organization. So it's a, it's a combination of an organizational assessment. And it's very effective. What, um, I, mean, I think it would be tremendously effective and tremendously uh, necessary in the modern age, right? We do see a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of toxic work environments pre-COVID, but it, it seems like there are more post-COVID uh, for a whole bunch of reasons we probably don't have time to get into, but it seems necessary. I, I was curious because I was thinking as you're talking, uh, you know, there's so many different scenarios, but I'm also mindful of the fact that many managers, many owners and sort of C-suite folks don't want to spend the time or the money on this type of thing. And uh, either they see it as sort of a, a touchy-feely you know, waste of time and money, or they just don't want to know the answer. So what, what would you, you know, how would you handle it if you are, I'm, I'm thinking aloud about a scenario here, you know, let's say that someone complains to HR, HR is getting a bunch of complaints that it's a toxic work environment, and then they reach out to you. Um, but then the ownership or executives basically kill the idea and to say, no, we're not doing climate assessment. Well, I guess my question essentially is, what would you try to do to, uh, to convince them that, that it is necessary? Well, I don't know if, if necessarily part of my job is convincing somebody, but what I will do is I, I mean, I certainly can give references to clients that give me permission to say this was really effective. This turned our organization around. Um, I think the one thing about the climate assessment is and I'm very frank with people. I say it is a very um, critical document. It's something I've had um I've had employer uh, clients that have gone through legal counsel um, in regards to the final report because it can be very um, uh, it can be a toxic report in the sense that somebody may say something negative about um, another individual. Now, I don't put names in, and it's organized in a way that you can't identify necessarily who said it. But what it does is it creates. Um, it can create a toxic environment if the report goes too low. But the other thing is, I say to my clients, don't do this if you don't want to do anything with it. Don't waste my time, your time, or your money. Because if you take this document and get um, the organization uh, or the staff to kind of put it out on the line and, and create a safe, I create a safe space with them using a trauma-informed approach to get people to feel comfortable, and then they do nothing, then they're actually... Um, escalating the whole toxic work environment by getting staff to do this and then doing nothing about it. 
Um, So I'm very frank. And I think sometimes people will have to, you know, take it away. And then two or three months later, they might come back and go, Denise, it's not changing. We're going to embark on this. So I do my best to try to talk about the positives. Yeah, sorry, sorry to talk over you. But the other risk I see is if, if that happens and it doesn't get any better, then now there's potentially additional liability because they were fully aware of what the climate was and the fact that there was a toxic environment with presumably bullying and harassment. They didn't do anything about it. Uh, it's, it's just a recipe for additional liability as well. So um, yeah, I'm just concerned that they won't go ahead because I know how hard it can be to get some organizations to be more proactive. Um, that's you know why I think it's, it's a challenge. And sorry, I could just add, it just reminded me when you said that, Stuart, is it's the same with threat assessments. I can recommend a threat assessment. They can say no. But I ensure that I put that in writing and say, based on my expertise and my um, involvement in the case, I would highly recommend that you do a threat assessment for the risk, health and safety of your employees. Um, I make sure that I document that in an email so that if they don't do a threat assessment, and again, a lot of people just can't get their head around it because they've worked for someone for 20 years and don't believe it'll ever happen. However, I do for my own liability, I put that in writing and say, you you really need to do this. It's up to you. But then if something does happen, then I'm protected because I gave, as you do as a lawyer, you give your legal advice. And if they don't follow it and something something bad happens, then it's not your responsibility because you gave them due warning that it was something that they needed to do or an advisement um, to go in a certain direction. And they choose not to. With a climate assessment, it's a little bit different, but a threat assessment, definitely, that's something that can create huge liability. Right. Oh, look, those CYA emails are critical. And uh, we obviously do the same mm-hmm. thing. And, and I don't mean to constantly talk about liability, but again, if, if you know someone like you comes in and says you really should do a threat assessment and they say, no, we're not going to bother. And then six months later, the person comes in and there is a violent incident. Again, it's just additional liability because it wasn't as though they, ought, you know, they didn't have any way of knowing. They, they clearly ought to have known there was at least a potential risk you told them. And they did nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So, I'm to shift gears briefly because I know uh, we've only got a few minutes left, but I know you did some conflict resolution work as well. And I wanted to talk about that because that's something that I think we see uh, much more of a need for because it's usually, or maybe I shouldn't say usually, I often see it where it's post investigation. Uh, you know, there's allegations of harassment or bullying, and perhaps you find harassment or bullying, perhaps you don't, perhaps you just find that there is. Uh, an interpersonal dynamic there that's not working. But but either way, you know, issues have come to the fore. There's been some sort of investigation, but now you need everyone to get back in the workplace working together. And that's often extremely difficult. So um, I was just hoping you could talk a little bit about, you know, what you do in your conflict resolution work to try to restore the workplace after a, an investigation. Um, so I think that's kind of sort of two parts. So when I, when I, because the terms bullying, discrimination, harassment are used. Um, those um, can be very accurate. In some cases, they're not accurate. They're, they don't meet the legal definition of those issues. So sometimes I would recommend conflict resolution once I do a preliminary inquiry and determine that it's not discrimination or harassment. Um, and I'll try to see if both parties um, 
are interested in doing conflict resolution or uh, go through a mediation process, which has to be voluntary with goodwill intent. So it can happen sort of at the beginning. At, after an investigation, it's more difficult because it, because the process is, is brutal um, in the sense that it's time, it's people's uh, mental health that suffers, and then say, why don't you just sit in a room and, and discuss issues? I believe it can be done, but I think sometimes it has to be, there has to be a cooling off period and both individuals have to be safe. And the other issue is if there's a power difference between the individual parties, so the complainant is a frontline worker and the, um, uh, the, the respondent is in a leadership position, it's very difficult to do a mediated session to try our conflict resolution because of the power difference. Um, so what I try to do is I try to encourage employers that when things start to bubble up, things don't, it's like violence. Violence doesn't start with a shooting and a stabbing. That's the day the violence ends. There's years of bubbles and red flags. And once red flags start to happen between two people, that's when conflict uh, resolution and mediation can be most effective because it hasn't gone over to that other side of someone feeling that they're being harassed or discriminated against. So for me, it's more of a proactive approach before it gets to the point of someone launching a complaint of harassment, um, which is one of the reasons that I chose to do dispute resolution um, at Osgood, because I think that that's a much more effective and kinder process than going through an actual investigation. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, and I, I wish we'd see more of that when people are more proactive. Unfortunately, we do tend to see yeah. more of uh, nothing is done until there's a formal complaint and then there's a, a formal investigation. And then it's often hard, even if there's no finding of harassment, it's hard just to, to get people back uh, back working together. So I think you make a great, great point about being, being more proactive. Um, mm -hmm. I am mindful of that it's already one o'clock. So be, um, before we wrap up, I guess I'll ask uh, if there's any anything else you wanted to mention quickly, but I also Wanted to give you a chance to mention how people can reach you if they have any questions or, or better yet, want to uh, to engage you. Um, I guess just a final thought is that I just think that um, what we need to do is we need, we need to follow our gut and we need to listen to people without judgment. If someone is fearful of another individual, it's not my right as a trained professional or anyone else's to, to um, minimize that. And I think that if organizations are proactive in the health, safety, and security of their employees, um, that's why trauma-informed work is so important because people need to realize where people are coming from. And, and your fear may be different than my fear. Um, how to get a hold of me at my website um, is costerconsultingassociates.com. Um, I'm also probably only really active on LinkedIn, so people can certainly go through LinkedIn to contact me. Um, and also, if um, if people are interested, and I did um, in 2020 write uh, my book, um, Refusing to Accept the Unacceptable, um, The Trials, Tribulations of Workplace Discrimination, Harassment, and Bullying, and it does have sections and chapters in there in regards to conflict resolution investigation and it's all case-based based on um, 30 years of my um, of my career and and uh, cases and things that I've found that w potentially would be um, 
helpful not to just HR, but also people that are experiencing bullying, harassment, or discrimination in the workplace. Awesome. Yeah, th thank you for reminding me about the book, which I highly recommend. I did read it uh, several years ago now. Definitely recommend it. Uh, and Denise, thank, thank you. you again for So that's um, that's a wrap for season six, episode six of Fire Away. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in uh, and remind everyone past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website and archived on Facebook. Like our page or subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll get notifications when episodes are live. Next episode is going to be on August 15th, and Brittany Taylor is going to be back in the host seat. More details will be available soon as far as the uh, content and our guests. Um, I want to remind everyone as well that at Rudner Law, we want everyone to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. So I invite you to keep up to date on employment law issues by following us on all of our social media, including Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and recently TikTok. Like on our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our newsletter for monthly employment law updates as well. But as we always say, none of that replaces legal advice that's tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. Thanks to Rob, to Rebecca, to Mark for helping put this show together. Thank you again, Denise, for joining us. See you next time.